Kia you're listening to Speak Out Radio on 106.1 FM. I'm Compass, I use they, them pronouns, and I'm here with Lucy. Do you want to go? Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Lucy and I use any pronouns. Lovely. Uh, shall we go to you, Christine? Hi, my name's Christine, um, her, she pronouns. Chaz? Uh, kia ora, I'm Chas Harris and I use he, him pronouns. And finishing it off with Caitlin. Hi, I'm Caitlin Spice and I use she, her pronouns. Um, and I guess from here, I will let you brag about what you do. Um, does somebody want to pick up and tell us what, why you're here, why we're interviewing you and what you do? Um, I can. Uh, so uh, we're the creative team behind Promise Land Tales, which is a series of LGBTQ inclusive children's books. Um, and we started our first book with a Kickstarter campaign in 2016 um, that went super viral. Uh, and then in early uh, 2017, we released Promise Land, which was our first book, um, and followed by Maiden Voyage, co-written with Jamie Poipoi um, in June 2018, and now Raven Wild, which is our third book that we've co-written with Caitlin Spice. That was so concise, oh my gosh. <laughs> you, you, you practiced that in front of the mirror, haven't you? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah, and what's your role within the um the Promised Land Tales thing? Uh, so I'm co-founder of the company with Adam Reynolds, um, who uh, I co-wrote the first book with. Um, and yeah, just the co-writing, the running, packaging up book orders, sending them off. It's all a bit of a DIY, you know, out of the, the, nitty-gritty. Out of the garage kind of business. <laughs> awesome. Um, how about you, Christine? What do you do? Um, so I am one of the illustrators, um, and sort of layout designers for the books. Um, so I came on board at the very start when Chaz and Adam approached me and said, Hey, do you want to illustrate a kid's book? And I was like, yeah, no worries. Can do that. Um, but yeah, no, I was really keen to get on board because there hadn't been anything that I had seen out there yet. And I had been kind of, um, working on various illustrations and educational resources, kids' books, that sort of thing, for a couple of years then. And yeah, there just wasn't anything out there that was telling queer fairy tales. Um, so I was, yeah, delighted to be on board for that project. Um, and so that year was, like Chaz said, uh, 2016. Um, and we that did the Kickstarter, and yeah, it was a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird to even talk about it. Um, and we did the Kickstarter and that went fantastically and so we kicked into illustrating the book and um, I actually, it was kind of a, a bizarre year for me because my mum passed away that year and this was, you know, trying to get through all the illustrations as well. Um, and I reached out to Adam and Chaz and said, hey, I'm on the struggle bus, um, <laughs> I'm going to need some help if we're going to get it in or get it. Um, you know, to the publisher on time. And so that's when we, uh, well, I, I knew Bo more. Um, I knew Bo anyway. She had been at university with me just the year below me. Uh, and I knew that she was a fantastic illustrator to start with. So we approached her um, and she came on board and helped me out with the backgrounds and colouring all those backgrounds up, which was fantastic for me at the time. <laughs> Um, and we got it finished and published and it was great. And then ever since Bo has been co-illustrating them with me. So, and it's worked 
phenomenally each time really like it just it's such a delight getting her backgrounds after you know I've got the characters and it all combines beautifully together and it's never looked out of place um, so yeah it's such a magic little um, collaboration really yeah I absolutely love the art style of it all it's like it's perfect for a fantasy setting and everything mm -hmm. I really love it and how about you Caitlin do you want to explain your your role as well um, so I guess I, because the first books were written by Chaz and Adam, um, uh, who are obviously gay, and the second book had a lesbian consultant on it, I was basically brought in as the trans consultant on this book to make sure that, I guess, we didn't fuck up in any way or do anything stupid. <laughs> you did transness right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, awesome. Um, and... Yeah, I guess, how did you, you get involved? Because with bringing consultants on and bringing other writers on, how do you reach out to people? How do you decide who to bring on? Um, well, I, I knew Caitlin already, so um, that kind of made it a bit easier. And it was sort of on the cards, sort of from when we did the second book. I think one of the things that Adam and I agreed quite early on was that we shouldn't Ideally, if we were going to do these other books, because we had a lot of people asking us after the first book, oh, can you do one with two princesses? Um, and so we were like, if we're going to do this, and then as, as we started to look at the character design for, uh, for Maiden Voyage, we realised we were also telling a story probably about two women of colour. Uh, we were like, we should not be the two, you know, cis gay white guys speaking on behalf of and telling, <laughs> telling that community how they are represented. So we were like, we need to reach out and actually... Um, you know, find a writer. So we knew of Jamie. Um, Jamie Poipoy had worked with Adam at Pukeko Pictures. Um, so we just reached out to her um, and, you know, had a, had a drink and said, look, this is what we're trying to do. Showed her the first book uh, and she listened to the audio book we'd done on the first book and then agreed to collaborate with us. Um, and when we'd shown her kind of the initial sort of character designs, um, she, she was like, do you know that my partner is, um, is Chinese? And I was like, oh. <laughs> so that, it was weird because it was like it, the, 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 the book ended up kind of representing their relationship in a beautiful way. Um, uh, and the same with uh, Caitlin and Anka on, on, um, on this book. But um, yeah, it's, it's you know, always like making sure that you're, you're telling a story, but you're also doing it involving people of the identity as you try to do it properly and authentically. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and how did you find that experience, Caitlin, with like getting brought onto this sort of, I guess, phenomenon of like, there aren't that many rainbow children's books out there. How did you find that experience like coming on? Um, I was pretty stoked because I was a big fan of Promised Land and the first time I read it, I cried and cried. And so I just thought it was amazing that I was getting to have the opportunity to be involved in the third book. Yeah, Lucy and I both went to the, the book launch, which um, I, it was at a bar. So I remember saying hi, and that's all I remember basically from that. But the, like throughout, the, <laughs> throughout the, the like, there was a, it was kind of like a video um, of the, the book. Of, like it had the illustrations and um, someone was reading the story out and Lucy and I were just like looking at each other the entire time, just like holding our hearts. It was so gorgeous. And it's like, <laughs> it's so nice seeing yourself like represented in some way. Um, and seeing like a community you're a part of represented. It's so beautiful and gorgeous. Yeah. Definitely. 
yeah um how how has response been for like all of the books i guess but in particular this book because there aren't that many children's stories with trans characters or trans representation and especially not with trans people as the protagonist as well mm. What has the, the response sort of been? Have you gotten any response or how's it? I mean, the, Caitlin's probably had thing? quite a lot of, um, you know, responses from people on Twitter. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Your Twitter is a gold mine. <laughs> it is <laughs> Thank you. stunning. Um, so I've had lots of people posting their pictures of the book, uh, but I think the biggest commentary we've got has been about the dedication at the front of it, which is in memory of all the lost childhoods of trans people. And lots of people said that that hit them really hard, whether they were cis or trans, because it made them think about what it would have meant to have a book like this when they were children. Mm. Yeah, and yeah, that's, totally. that's I... always the most common, um, common bit of feedback we've had about all of the books is, um, I wish I'd had a book like this when I was growing up, is sort of the sentence that almost every single person will will give us. Mm, yeah, totally. And I guess, I I think this story, especially when talking about like Raven's transness is quite interesting because I feel like even when we do see trans characters, it isn't really told in this way. Like I, I really love the fact that like transphobia was not a part of this book, <laughs> nowhere to be seen, love that. Um, love not having transphobia anywhere. Um, but also there was like, speaking of like, um, like medicines that she could take to like, I don't know, feel more authentic and stuff. Was that something that um, all of you had discussions about of how to portray her transness within the, the story? Yeah, for sure. We sort of, we agonized pretty severely about the correct way to deal with Raven's transition, especially, and how we pretty much wanted to get it over and done with really quickly and factually so that we could just get on with telling a really cool story, that it wasn't the focus of the book, that she happened to be trans, we had to deal with that, and we just wanted to deal with it in the, the simplest way, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I guess, it's like, yeah, her transness doesn't really take up much of the, the story. It takes up, like, I don't know, five pages or something. It's not that massive deal in the book even though it's very like central to her character mm. yeah we we just want people to know that she is trans and basically prove it not just throw a character at you who's fully transitioned and say hey this is a trans character and you're like how do i know that yeah other than you saying it yeah it was that yeah. it was that thing it was that fine line between going um we don't we don't want it we don't want it to take over the whole story we want it to be part of the story but we don't want to just completely erase it from the story because we need to make it sure that you know make sure that it's it's um explicitly there um because you know we don't want to announce it on twitter and be like oh yeah by the way raven's trans (laughs) yeah we don't want a dumbledore is gay (laughs) (laughs) i knew it was coming (laughs) yeah yeah um i guess christine with the illustrating of that because Mm. there are like um drawings of Raven before her transition what was sort of the the process of coming up with artwork to like explore that transition in a visual way I think that was um I think the key page that shows off the transition um shows off her transition um is actually like a visual formula that we've used in all of the books so far so in Promised Land um you see Jack and Leo growing up 
and that's kind of like a montage scene, I suppose. Um, in Maiden Voyage, you see, um, oh gosh, I'm going to forget their names suddenly. Rue and Freya. Freya and <laughs> Rue. Yeah. Freya and Rue. Um, you see them on their ship voyage, and that's another montage scene. And in this one, in, um, in Raven Wild, it's Raven's transition that is that montage scene. So like you said, it, it kind of happens right at the start. Um, in terms of uh, creating the character, um, I wanted Raven in both her, you know, her state, her, tr- uh, her pre-transition state, and then Raven as she is. Um, I wanted them to look like they are the same, if that makes sense. I don't know how to explain that. I wanted it to feel like it wasn't just two randomly different characters. Mm. Um, there is still a sense of Hawk in Raven um, and a feeling of Raven and Hawk. Um, Can I but, just say before this, I had to go and, um, because I was like, I'm sure it will come up that, that Raven's old name, but I'm so used to just like forgetting dead names like yeah. mm-hmm. ASAP that I was just like, yeah. it's gone. <laughs> we, we talked about yeah. that a lot when we were writing it as well of yeah. like, yeah, and then, um, you know, when we switched the pronouns and that there's a lot of those language changes that uh, we kind of agonised over. It's like, you know, we're still using, like, when we had the transition, we changed the pronouns before we actually changed the name. Um, mm. So, yeah, that was in the text as well. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, from, like, like Chase said, from then on, after that transition page... Um, all of the characters that meet Raven after that are so open and accepting um, of her in her new form. Um, and it's just really beautiful. And I think the first instance, is, instance of that is the page where she meets her parents again after, uh, you know, being, being at the crag. And it's beautiful because her parents are just like, oh, hey! <laughs> We love you so much. Yeah, we missed you. And that's it, really. <laughs> we missed you. Yeah. Like, gosh, where have you been? Um, and there's not, yeah, it's it's such a gorgeous moment. Oh, my gosh, um, my heart just, like, swells. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the whole... That's the whole... Was that an important moment? Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. I was going to say, was that an important moment for you guys to have in the book, or did that just kind of happen naturally when you were writing it? It, it was yeah, important for me. Um, mm. because my parents were not accepting at all. Uh, they disowned mm. me, so it was mm. very important for me to show accepting parents and for anyone reading the book as well, because, of course, you yeah. want the parents of your trans main character to be accepting. And prejudice doesn't exist in the promised land universe, so, of course, they were going to be accepting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to add, was that uh, when we started the first book, we... Uh, Adam and I decided that what if, um, you know, when, when so much when you're telling queer stories uh, and, and all of the queer stories that we'd grown up, you know, queer media in general, like it's generally, um, you know, predisposed on a pain narrative or someone being wronged or someone's going to get attacked or, for, you know, for being queer in the narrative. And so we were like, if you, if you take away being queer as the, I guess, like the, um, the reason for conflict in the story, then you actually have to think, like it changes your storytelling rules and how you construct the story because you're like, well, we can't lean on that. We, it can't be the reason that there's conflict because it doesn't exist. And it's aspirational as well because the books are, it's a world where no one, um, 
you know, one treats you differently based on um, what you look like or um, your gender identity or who you love. Um, and so that became like the rules of the world, if you will. Um, so that's every story, every new story that came along, you're like, well, if those are the rules, then we can't, that can't be a reason. Um, and it should be like more of an aspirational world for the rest of the world to live up to in a way. <laughs> so that was our thinking. Yeah. Also, it's really nice to have the villain not say anything about the protagonist's transness mm. at all. Like Stryker doesn't give a shit that she's yeah. trans. He doesn't know she's trans, so. Yeah, totally. And I love that um, the entire like end of the book of it's just saying like it's super validating saying like yeah you're a woman yeah you totally are and it was just super lovely and nice and um yeah I totally agree with what you're saying of like so many of like queer stories are based around like the pain that queer people experience I feel like this these books definitely feel like the next step in queer and rainbow representation of instead of just being like this is what being trans means it's going this is a trans person and they do like awesome stuff like she's really cool not because she's trans but because she's awesome yeah (laughs) which i really like yeah um i guess we're going off of that of i mean what inspired you to like write children's books specifically um well we originally like originally the genesis of the idea came from catching up with adam and um having a coffee and we're just talking about again like this kind of conversation about oh i'm so sick of like always this being the thing you know in queer representation and um and then he sort of mentioned oh i have this idea for a you know a story about a prince and a farm boy who meet and fall in love but i kind of want to write co-write it with someone and then I sent him like about a three-page email of ideas that evening, and I was like, "I think I have, a, I think I have some ideas of how we could potentially do this." Um, but it, yeah, it originally it started as like a film idea um, because we both come from film backgrounds, and uh, you know, I write lots of screenplays, so um, I think the the children's book came about because it would be a lot harder to try and get a film version of this off the ground um, without proving that people wanted it first and um you know that's when the idea the concept of of what if we taught ourselves how to write children's books (laughs) basically which is what we did (laughs) nice a a lovely diy kind of situation (laughs) yeah and and christine you said that you had experience with like illustrating children's books before yeah Yeah. um so, so i have been i guess an illustrator um since I, well, when I finished uni, I didn't get a job like most people do. I just worked for myself. So I freelanced illustration, design, um, a little bit of like event coordination, running random things. Um, And so I was already working in that realm anyway. I was already doing a lot of educational resources for various companies and um book covers and yeah children's books and things like that so um you know it wasn't a it wasn't a big DIY step for me to jump into that um however it was a style that I hadn't really worked in before um and yeah I hadn't done a lot of the full 32 page children's books because you know that's like the the standard um 
so yeah, it was, it was a good new, um, challenging task for me to take on. Um, and I've happily kind of jumped in with the other books as they've, as they've come up as well. So. Yeah, and I guess it must have been kind of nice for you, Chaz, with like having a film background, having being able to do like an illustrated book rather than just like, um, you know, your basic written book, um, for, like being able to bring that like, sort of visual art style into it as well. Was that something that you kind of had in mind while you were writing and collaborating with other writers of like, oh, visualizing it while you were writing it? Yeah, definitely. Um whenever we've done these um done these books we kind of almost in the process as we were writing it we were going off and finding images from oh this page is like that moment from this film or whatever it is and that would become like a mood board so each each page of the book and you're also trying to figure out how much text you can fit on each page so you're doing that at the same time having an image and um you know there's examples of um i mean one of the ones from from this book is Stryker looming, looming over the, the gym with his, you know, hands outstretched and kind of like, you know, uh, leer, <laughs> literally like, I finally got it on my, uh, in my hands. And, the, uh, you know, there were reference images of Ursula looming over, you know, with the light up on her face from Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. So it's, they all go into like the mood board of like, this is the vibe of the page. It's not exactly what it needs to look like, but it's, you kind of, it's the feeling that you want to, uh, evoke or reach back to I guess um, and so that comes into the process a lot I think um, and yeah and then we I, I guess collaborating with um, Christine and Bo we were doing a lot of um, you know the stages of art direction in a way because we would start off with um, like a storyboard really like almost just pencil sketch storyboard version of the layout of the page of the we're kind of designing and you know describing shots really because they're like each page should feel very cinematic in a way um so that's you know we're trying to get visual storytelling through the image at, at the same time as the text doing work um which is probably a bit different to how um your regular regular big you know big five publisher works with illustrators because they'll just go here's the text um the, the author never has any input to how their book looks um and then they get it delivered to them by the publisher once it's been published. Um, and so that's why we didn't go that traditional route because we knew we, we had a very defined style and, you know, the way that we wanted to look of every page, we already had it in our heads. So that was why we went the kick, was, Kickstarter route. I will add on to that, Chaz. Mm. Um, even working, even having worked with other self-published authors... Um, and doing illustrations for them, you and Adam provided so much more vision and art direction um, than any other author I've worked with who's self-published. So it's not just the publishing route that makes different. I I think that's because you're both from a film background and you both are really visual people anyway. Yeah. Um, So kind of that that both makes it harder and easier for like Bo and I as illustrators because... Mm. It's really handy because you can explain to us exactly what you are thinking, because sometimes that's very tr- tricky if you're not a visual person. Mm. Um, however, it is like, oh, okay then, <laughs> sure. Is that what you're doing? 
So it can it can be yeah it can be really it can make things a lot easier and it yeah. also can make things harder sometimes. So it's it's this weird little balance. Yeah, exactly. There. But we've we've gotten pretty good at it now. Yeah, I think so. And <laughs> I mean, and then there were definitely there were pages where we're like we know exactly what angle this is, exactly what page, mm. exactly how the light, everything like about it. And then there were other pages where we're like. Well, we think we know what this page is, but if you have ideas that might, you know, you know, then feel free to suggest anything because we're not as fixed on this one in particular or that, you know, these three or four pages, we're a bit loose on what it might look like if there's other ideas from where we've started. So, yeah, it's sort of how it worked. <laughs> that sounds like a really cool collaboration, honestly. <laughs> like, that sounds, like, awesome. And how about for you, Caitlin, because you've released another book, but that wasn't a children's book. So how was that, like, I don't know, coming into this realm and also like collaborating with other people that have collaborated before how is that for you um i guess for the collaboration process Chaz and adam had sort of sort of already ironed that out when they'd worked with jamie so they had pretty good ideas of of how they were going to work with me um i get on really really well with both uh Chaz and adam so it was very synergistic um we so just no sort of drama sat with... to spill no tea to spill no yeah. nothing at all um <laughs> no dirty the laundry thing... <laughs> no. but the only thing was that like Chaz and I would sometimes go off on like huge tangents about fantasy stuff because we're both fantasy nerds and Adam would be like um the the story the book Craven Wild <laughs> remember that <laughs> uh and he'd bring us back down to earth which yeah. was good um so yeah, there no drama at all. Um, it it went really quickly. I think. Mm. Uh, I think you guys mentioned that like in a couple of the previous books, you got stuck on a couple of pages for like weeks, but that didn't seem to happen this time round. So yeah, I mean when we when we good. were writing um, when we were writing Maiden Voyage in particular, we got stuck on we had too much story, um, and we were just trying to like there were lots of revelations in that book of people hiding secrets because the whole theme of the second book is about lies. So, you know, people in in positions of power, like the Queen, Queen Neva, like her whole thing was she was just had this gem that allowed her to lie to people and kind of entrap them in, kind of reflecting the real world <laughs> state at the time. <laughs> um, but so uh, as a result of that, that was... Um, you know, we, we had all of these secrets and things that the, the main characters were discovering and it meant we were trying to cram so much story into those kind of 32 pages. Um, so we went through lots and lots of re like rewrites of those pages to try and make it all streamline and not feel like we were just throwing, you know, um, throwing revelation and secret out there, you know, every page. Because um, that would be a bit overwhelming. Whereas I think this time we were really good at kind of going, um, you know, let's really hone down on the simplicity and keep it as simple as we can in terms of what what this gem does. And you know, we might be able to expand on it later. And you know, I think there was early stages of it where it was like the the gem was seeping radiation, and it was like that was how Ooh. that was why all of the uh, animals could talk, and so its magic was sort of broken and causing these weird radial you know, impacts on the environment around it, which was interesting. But then we were like, should we just keep it simple? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I think um, one of the initial ideas was that uh, the gem, because I'm, I'm a world builder and I do law like extensively, the idea was this gemstone had been used by an ancient civilization and they'd harnessed its power to power their whole 
civilization and then by overusing it they cracked it and the energy leaked out and destroyed their civilization and then caused animals to be able to talk and it was supposed to be yeah, a big allegory it. for Iraq and oil yeah, and all yeah, sorts yeah. of stuff. And we're like, this is getting a bit heavy. And then like all of, yeah, that was it. And then all of the humans had been driven out because the animals had taken over and it was now like the realm yeah. of the animals. And yeah, oh, it's all coming back to me now. Just a fun, light children's book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was always like, that's when you're conceptualizing these stories, you're, you're sort of talking about stuff. But then, you know, we finished Promised Land and then I think at the time as after we'd written it and it was all, you know, happening and everything else. It was around that time that Standing Rock was happening um, when we were around the time we were releasing the book and we kind of started to realise that this evil guy's come along and he he basically wants the land for himself. So he's just like the emblem of colonisation. And so we've written a... We've written (laughs) this thing where the colonisers are the the villains and, you know... um, trying to take the land and the kingdom away from that's ruled by people of color. Um, and yeah, so it was, and then they, you know, ultimately were able to take it back and save themselves and, you know, vanquish him, I guess. And, um, that was something that we hadn't realized we were writing until after we'd written it and had the book in our hands, like literally until we had the copy of the book. And I kind of went, I think we just wrote, wrote something about this. (laughs) So it was, That's yeah. so cool. I I love the fact that it was like you had you had to like see the finished product and then be like, oh my gosh. Yeah, it was that themes, kind of subconscious. So well, because when you're in it, in the creativity of something, I think we got more. We we were a bit more conscious about how how things were with the second and third book, um, and especially the further you get away from representing yourself in something. You, st- you really have to be mindful of that and what message it puts out there and, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, well, at least a good writer would care <laughs> about that. Um, but, yeah, so I, I think that's that was definitely part of the DNA of the creativity of the books was that we were, you know, what do we want to say? Even though this is a, you know, a fairy tale, you know, how can we tell a, you know, tell a good story and and a good message for young people which would be to know we shouldn't let poachers you know get their hands on power to control all of the animals and then just slaughter them all so um mm. so that's which is a little different to my um normal writing which is kind of YA dark fairy tales where usually the moral outcome is still the same like in terms of messages to people but it's usually pretty nasty for the characters in the story rather than uplifting and pleasant like Ravenwild. <laughs> I can imagine that mood board. Was it, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was it difficult cutting from like being writing all this dark stuff and going, oh, I'm writing for kids. And did you have like ideas that you kind of had that you wanted to bring out, but then it kind of ended up being like, mm, maybe not for this story. Oh yeah, definitely. Like <laughs> my mind is tweaked towards horror because that's what I write. So the dark fantasy thing. So I think there were a few times that Chaz and Adam were like, oh, that's a bit dark, Caitlin. Yeah. <laughs> well, even like we, we ourselves did it a couple of times where we were like, okay, I mean, this is kind of a spoiler. I'll, I'll try not to say what happens, but something <laughs> happens to our villain. Um, he gets turned into something. Uh, and then uh, we were like, oh, should like then a bird come along and, you know, eat him? You eat him? 
<laughs> you know, because we've got so many like birds are a big theme in this book, and I'm like, we well, should Misty, <laughs> like, who's our oh main bird here? So, and then, and then we were like, we were like, that's maybe a bit too dark. Let's not do that. Yeah, he can just. I mean, that away. logically follows yeah. that it's not correct for a children's book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we were like, no, we'll just maybe have him slither away into a into the yeah. into Go the walls. The gentler route. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I actually I wanted to um talk to you Caitlin because you said earlier that you love world building and doing all that. And I feel like that was definitely something that I was thinking about while I was watching like the watching the book. Um of like whether things like did you create sort of the entire world of this place like in your your mind that you weren't able to like get out onto the page but are still kind of there or did you have conversations with um like Christine and Bo about like certain elements that you'd like to see in the world or you know but how how did you bring that sort of world building mind to this story especially since you only had 32 pages yeah um I think like I I had a lot of ideas that we didn't end up using like we talked before about the ancient civilization and stuff like that um but we also wanted to tie in like some of the previous books because there was the previous two gems in the other books and we wanted to tie in a little bit of that storyline. So that's why there's like artwork in one of the panels that sort of ties back to the first book of the in the swamp with the um the carvings and the rock wall. Um I didn't actually have much interaction with Bo and Christine about the direction of the um, the images on the pages that was more Chaz and Adam but I did a lot of scribbling of stuff while we were coming up with story ideas like scribbling like roughs of the temple and the stairs and stuff where people were going to be standing and things so a little bit of that had already happened um, but yeah um, th- there's a lot of stuff in my head that's not in the book and probably in the heads of the other guys mm-hmm. too yeah, and there was, you know, definitely... Care to share, care to share. Give, <laughs> us, the, give def- us the insider information. <laughs> definitely work... Well, we're actually... Oh, sorry. We're actually trying to work out the chronology of things because uh, there's some <laughs> characters in between all three books that are um, in the other books. So there's kind of a timeline thing going along. So we're having big discussions about how to tie that together. Ooh, like Marvel's cinematic universe. Kind of <laughs> yeah, a little bit like that. We actually talked about that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a team it. up book could be cool yeah. yes that'd um, be so cool yeah no we, we definitely had that and um, I think definitely when um, when it comes to the art direction and illustration side of it that's when um, Christina and Bo do a lot of that as well in terms of the world building visually of, of bring it to life and um, we talked a lot about almost like birds being kind of a central um deity kind of thing in this world and that meant a lot symbolically so you'll see there's lots of uh parts in the temple uh that even the temple itself is sort of shaped like a bird um and uh, that was Bo's design that kind of brought that to life and then um there are carvings in walls and you know even windows in parts of Clifftown where um Raven's from that even are shaped like a bird as well so there's a lot even the architecture is kind of adapted to that so there's there's heaps of really cool little uh things to look for and there's also a bird on every page of the book um because we have each each book has like a critter or a thing that ev- on every page there's something to reread and spot on each page 
And of course, the um, one of the main characters, Misty, the African grey, she's um, the trans pride flag colours. So oh, Stunning. Yeah, actually, um, going from there, I kind of wanted to talk about the other characters in the book outside of Raven, because there's Finn, who's sort of the, the best friend turned more than best friend. Um, but like, what sort of conversations did you have about like Finn's involvement um, with the story? Um, especially like the romance that comes out of it was that something that was super important um, to you to like um, include in the book and how their like relationship and friendship and you know all of that evolves like what sort of conversations did you have about that um we wanted we wanted to make it clear that trans people could find love for starters so we wanted it to blossom into a relationship um and we didn't want to talk about Finn's sexuality at all like he just loves Raven regardless of who she is so I guess if you wanted to put a label on it he's probably pansexual but he's kind of Raven sexual really (laughs) 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 yeah um yeah what was oh my gosh I had a great question and then it left me immediately because I remember from the the book launch you said that um Caitlin you and your your husband had like a little like cameo there and um obviously with um Raven's parents and everything what was sort of like I don't know I feel like all of the relationships feel so special in this story and they feel very loving and nurturing uh, especially around Raven like was that something that you were very conscious of of being like the relationships that Raven have um are going to be like super loving and amazing and awesome well, um, the relationship between Raven and Finn is basically based on myself and my husband, and he had quite a bit of input into the things Finn would do and say. We'd sort of, like, get a bit stuck, and we'd, like, go to my husband, Anke, and say, what do you think Finn would say? And he'd be like, oh, he would say this, and we're like, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's quite a few lines in there, like, dialogue lines from, from Finn that we we just, like, went and did a lap around the house and... <laughs> past Unk in the in the in the lounge and it was like well we're stuck at this bit and like we're trying to figure out what Finn would say and then he'd say it and we'd be like back to it (laughs) it was almost like he was stopping us from being able to procrastinate (laughs) yeah that's so lovely it's always great to have a person like that around um so I guess um I mean obviously these stories come kind of come from a place of being like there isn't enough representation especially from uh for young people for children um what sort of next steps would you like to see or what sort of representation would you like to see in future from a trans angle or just a general queer i I always go trans angle first because i love trans people (laughs) um i think we probably need some more trans adult books or you know YA crossing into adult books because the children's book market is very easy to do um very easy to sell because you know you've got queer parents who want to buy stuff for their children so that they're accepting but breaking into the market of people who are already past that stage in their life and who, who maybe aren't so accepting of um queer people Breaking into that market would be a huge coup, having, you know, becoming like the Stephen King of writing trans adult narratives would be amazing. 
I'm not saying that I would personally do that, but it's it's definitely something that's needed. We need more ma- mainstream kind of trans novels. Mm. Yeah, because you have also um, you have a, a a book that's sort of directed at older viewers. Soulfire is that? Correct? Oh, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a sort of upper middle grade fantasy for sort of ten to fifteen uh, kind of age range um, that I released last October. Yeah. Um, and that was, yeah, that was kind of, I, I guess, kind of providing that older readership, um, kind of that kind of representation. But, you know, I haven't, I hadn't seen any of those kind of, um, kind of fantasy stories that had had queer people as the main character and as the hero. So it was, you know, I guess that's that kind of like the positive representation of central protagonists who are queer is just kind of our... I guess that's like a company mission statement, you, you might say. Um, you know, uh, I'm I'm not as interested in a lot of storytelling that is the kind of, like I said earlier, that kind of, you know, wallowing on the tragedy of what happens to queer people. It's like, I feel like we've had enough of that in the world and um, like we can have all kinds of other adventures and just happen to be included in the narrative. We've had enough of the bury your gaze trope. Yeah. No more, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah, because um, Lucy and I, we did a, a panel a little while ago about um, rainbow media. And, like, the first thing that came to my mind is, like, I just want to stop watching queer people die. Because mm. it's, like, it's not fun. And, like, it's really, it can, it's quite upsetting, I think, as well. Especially when you're trying to find yourself somewhere and you just, like, see all of this, like, doom and gloom and basically you're going to be like, oh, okay, so you're going to, like, die, like, <laughs> when you're 20 or something. Mm. Um, so, like, seeing those more positive things, but also maybe, like, not every story needs to be positive, but, like, just seeing more diversity of content, mm. of, like, yeah. showing that our experiences are diverse and our stories should reflect that as well. Yeah, it's that whole uh, equitable approach to uh, inclusive media. So uh, if you know, if all of the stuff that you're seeing and all the messaging that you're seeing is negative, then you're going to have a negative experience of who you are um, associated with that. So I think it's, um, I mean, it's sort of that same argument is happening in the casting space uh, around queer people playing queer people. Um, and it's like the argument isn't that you can only cast queer people until the end of time. It's like, well, for the last 25 years, we've had, you know, you know, cishet people playing us and really no one else representing us who is actually of that identity. And it's pushed out the opportunity for those actors to actually get a foot in and become the stars that they're saying, oh, they're not a star. And it's like, well, those other stars didn't come, come, become stars they got opportunity and that's what made them stars. So um, I think there's still a lot of nuanced conversation needed in that space to actually make space for, uh, for actors and make it a more equitable approach to casting. And, um, and it's happening in, the, in writing, in traditional publishing, who gets published and who takes up space and all that kind of thing is also happening. But... Um, I, I noticed there's that whole, you know, acting is acting is kind of the thing that keeps getting thrown back. And it's like, well, yes, but, you know, you have to understand the, the, the difference in being a marginalised um, person trying to get work in that space um, and how that affects them. 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, if I tried to get acting gigs, they'd probably say, you're six foot three, you're a trans woman, you can only play trans women. I'm like, but I can't get trans roles because mm. all the cis people are taking them. So how the hell do I get work? Mm. Totally. Yeah, and I guess this Raven Wild in particular, I feel like, is going back to that sort of thing of more diversity within storytelling. I feel like this Raven Wild tells a very different story about like a trans woman than trans women normally get like it's a very different narrative there's no sort of like raven hates being a woman there's no like there's no none of that internalized stuff um is that was that something that you were very aware of especially you caitlin of looking at the sort of stories that we tend to see around trans women and then like actively working against them or um actively trying to bring something more positive than we normally see? It was actually, I think, more a function of the Promised Land universe than anything else because there was no prejudice. Her doubts were pretty minimal because there's in the Promised Land universe there would have been generations and generations of trans women before her, so it's a known thing. It's something that just people deal with and it's just part of someone's life. So, yeah, it's a, a function of the universe that the book was in that everything was fine for her and you didn't have to concentrate on those bad parts of transition yeah I think it was just around that um around you know the gem in our story is uh, a gem that only a woman can wield so really that just became the central uh I I guess kind of concern that that the raven had that she, she was like everyone around her was like well no like of course you'll be able to use it but it was that kind of that kind of thing that um, until, you know, what, that's why it was so important to her to kind of get to the top of the steps and actually touch it and know, you know. Um, and I think that was, I, I guess that was our, our way of trying to show a, a validating and empowering message without writing on the page for kids, trans women are women. It's, you yeah. know, it's like, how do, can we show that through the actions and events of the story? Um, while still kind of addressing yeah. some of the self-doubts that all trans people have exactly. about the validity of our yeah. identity. Yeah, because I think that will still resonate, even though it's in a world where, you know, that, that, that acceptance is there, um, it will still carry through, um, through that through line. Yeah, and I love what you said, Caitlin, about that, like, validity um, of definitely trans people as something that you carry because of the world that we live in where trans people aren't listened to and are constantly invalidated and within this universe transness is like accepted it's validated it's like it's awesome and just a part of that universe um but still acknowledging that in a way that I'm sure a lot of young people and a lot of like adults reading these stories will be able to connect to as well of saying like I felt this thing as well and sort of grounding it in that it's like super lovely um I guess, so we only have, we don't have very long left. I think we have maybe 10 minutes left. So how about we go to some fun, good, good old questions. Let's go to, what was your, maybe your favorite part of this process? And what is your favorite part of this story of like, it could be a picture that you love or like a, a specific moment that you love? Who's first? <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to take it away? I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you about one of my favourite parts of the process. Um, so when I get the backgrounds from Bo, um, and I open up the files, and I pop my characters in, 
Um, and then I basically I work over the top um, and I apply sort of the lighting um, based on colour and whatnot around um, onto the characters and the shadow that, you know, correlates to the backgrounds and everything like that. And so just bringing those characters and environments together. Um, and that's, that's like probably my favourite part of the entire process. So right near the end, but um, because it just, it's, you, do, you don't quite know until it's all on the same literally Photoshop file. You're not quite sure what it's going to turn out like. Um, but it's, yeah, it's always glorious. And those final little like highlights and everything. Yeah, that's my favourite part. I guess I'd... Should I go next? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, actually, my favourite part was, uh, completely aside from the Ravenwell stuff, was the deep philosophical queer conversations that Adam, Chaz and I would have, like, quite often preceding actually getting to work. We'd talk about some really deep, nuanced queer shit that, you know, quite often you don't get to have these conversations, except when it's a group of queer people. And that was actually a really great and positive experience it's like that meme of like, you know, the two Greek philosophers walking along talking and, and talking to each other. Yeah. yeah. And then talking to cis people sometimes is like talking to toddlers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah, we definitely had those kind of the warm up hour almost of, you know, before we got to writing where we just talk about something like a bit of content or what we've been watching or anything like that. Yeah, or current events. Yeah, exactly. Um yeah, I guess my like I've got uh, I've got three, <laughs> like three favorites. <laughs> um, definitely like loved the writing process. Like that collaboration uh, and writing process was really great because we'd go around to Caitlin's and you know on a Sunday pretty much. I think it was most, mostly Sundays we made the like writing day and um, so that was really really positive and great. And then um, you know always holding the printed book for the first time um, once you've got it back uh, is always really amazing because you you know you I mean half the time it's when you're also the people who are like running the production pipeline of everything you actually just want to know that the books stuck together the right way thank you bookprint <laughs> and, and their partners um you know that the front isn't in the back of the books and they're all ruined or anything like that it's always like you're on the edge of your seat until you actually see that they that they look good and they're all the way they should be um and then um when we you saw it at the launch for each of our launches. We've uh, recorded a narration um, from uh, New Zealand actress Geraldine Brophy. And a lot of the time, like when we do those recordings, it's really great because we, we get to hear the text read, you know, read by, you know, an amazing narrator, uh, an actress, that the way that it's, the way that we're pretending, I mean, with the, once we'd done it once, like with the second and third book, we would be sitting in the room while we're writing. We'd write the page and then I'd do my best Geraldine Brody <laughs> impression and kind of like grandly try and like read out the, you know, the page to see if it actually sounds right. And, you know, will that sound great? But you really just don't know until you actually put it in front of Geraldine and then she reads it and you're like, oh, and then you actually feel like it's not awful. <laughs> because <laughs> that's generally the writing experience is like you write something and then you're just like you know oh my god I feel like I've made a terrible mistake <laughs> oh, yeah I I can definitely say that 
it was an amazing experience <laughs> being able to like watch it and listen to it at the same time. Um, so do you want to let everybody know where they can find you if they want to keep up with all the work you're doing and also where they can keep up with all of these awesome projects that you're coming out with? Uh, yep. So we've, um, we have a website where we sell the books directly. Um, so that's promisedlandstore.com. Um, we're also on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, generally, you can find those pretty easily. Um, I think our Twitter, Twitter handle is promisedlandbk. Um, and I think it's the same on Instagram as well. Um, yeah, and we're in all good bookshops that stock us generally in Wellington. Um, you know, Children's Bookshop, Unity, RCBs uh, are our main stockets in Wellington. The classic bookshops. Mm. How about you, Christine? Where can people find you to keep up with all of your your art, uh, anything like that? So I'm not on Facebook anymore. I, di- I ditched the book of face. Um, <laughs> However, you can find me on Instagram, um, Christine Lowton Creative. Um, that's the handle for Instagram. Um, I do have a website as well. Um, I believe it's just christinelowton.co.nz. <laughs> it's one of those things I can't remember off the top of my head. No one Everybody go search me. it and see if it's right. Yeah. yeah, people better check that really fast. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm also a, a tertiary tutor, so... I don't full-time freelance illustration anymore. Um, I do a lot of uh, teaching of drawing and things like that. Um, But I still work on the odd uh, project that I think is needed in the world. So, yeah. How about you, Caitlin? Because I can say with confidence that your Twitter is the best thing that I've (laughs) ever experienced. Thank you. (laughs) Um, so yeah, so there's my Twitter, which is just at Kate Spice, C-A-T-E-S-P-I-C-E. Um, I've got, I have a collection of my no sleep writing, uh, on Reddit and that's under the Hallodyne library and you can find basically everything I've ever written on Reddit on there, which is something like 150 horror stories, um, if you're into that kind of thing. And I have a Facebook page for the same purposes that's, um, just, that's my writer name, which is CM Scandrith. That's the handle I use on the No Sleep podcast. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for coming and talking to us because I know for sure that I love all of these books. They fill me with like such happiness and joy. <laughs> um, and I'm sure they fill so many other people with happiness and joy. And um, I'm so glad that younger rainbow people get to see themselves represented in books and that like queer parents get to read these books as well um so i'm just i'm just real happy (laughs) and thank you so much um for coming and chatting to us so you've been listening to speak out radio on 106.1 fm